This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. Since Dabo Sweeney says he has no doubt there will be a college football season this fall, who's going to be the Tigers' biggest test in the ACC this year? According to Vegas, nobody. This morning, Clemson was tagged as a monster favorite to win the Atlantic Coast Conference, and they are the early favorite to win the national title, and rightfully so. Nobody's really pushed them in the ACC for the last five years. You look at Virginia last year, okay team, but not great. Miami, I thought they were a fraud from the middle of that year when they went to Chapel Hill against a bad Larry Fedora team, struggled, probably should have lost, but... Since they got a win against an average Notre Dame team in Virginia Tech, everybody was excited about them because Miami used to be one of those name college football programs. They got drubbed in Charlotte, just like Virginia. Virginia Tech hasn't been the same program the last 10 years. FSU, they're still recovering, trying to pick up the pieces from the Willie Taggart years. And really since Jameis Winston left, FSU has fallen short against the Tigers. It's been all Clemson. It's been dominant. But I do think that could change very soon as North Carolina is starting to become the threat to this dominant stretch from Dabo Sweeney. It's the best threat. It's the biggest one we've seen in the last five years. The evidence of this starts with the heartbeat of any program. Recruiting. But not just recruiting. The proximity between the Tar Heel program and Clemson. Dabo's had Mac Brown on his radar since early last year. Since North Carolina beat South Carolina in the opener, Dabo was impressed with what Mac was doing. Getting a new locker room, improving the facilities, getting sellouts in Chapel Hill. They already had mutual respect for each other. But Dabo, he was once on this radio show, and he said the guy that he's been most impressed with, the one that he sees a lot of his coaching style in, is Mac Brown. He views Mac as one of the biggest competitors he has on the recruiting trail, and this backs it up. UNC is top 20 in this year's recruiting rankings, according to 24-7. They nearly got outside linebacker Trenton Simpson, who... Decommitted from Auburn. He's out of Charlotte. He was going to become a Tar Heel. And then the last minute, I remember where I was. I was watching Knives Out in the movie theater. I check my phone right before the movie starts. I see Trenton Simpson as a Tiger. I thought, wow, this is starting to become a war. North Carolina is going to war with Dabo and Clemson. Nobody else, I think, feels like they could compete with Clemson at this moment. NC State. They've tried and failed. Larry Fedora tried and failed. A big part of Clemson building this empire over the last five or six years has been on the backs of North Carolina-bred talent. Dabo has out-recruited North Carolina coaches. So I think it's significant with UNC getting a top 20 class this year, nearly getting closer to a top 10 class with Trenton Simpson, losing him at the last moment to... Dabo, looking at 2021, this is where it really arrived on my radar this weekend. 
Friday night, North Carolina landed another four-star recruit. Their 10th of the 2021 class. Right now, if you go to 24-7, they have the third-ranked recruiting class in the nation. Second is Clemson. You look at Clemson's class, nobody is in the state of North Carolina. 11 of the 12 in North Carolina's class, pretty much all those four-star players are from North Carolina. Think about all the greats Clemson's had who are from North Carolina. Dexter Lawrence, first-round draft pick. Tanner Muse, defensive leader on last year's team. K.J. Henry, right here from the triad, five-star player. Eric Mackling, who we love having on from the ACC Network. Important offensive lineman on Clemson's first title team in 2015 under Dabo. If those guys became Tar Heels, who knows? Would they still have the same level of success if they went to NC State or went to North Carolina or went to a Wake Forest or a Duke? I don't know. Mac is building a proverbial wall around the state of North Carolina. Many coaches have said they're going to do it. This is the biggest threat to Clemson we've seen. But it's not just recruiting in proximity. Quarterback and coach factor into this. Mac Brown being the coach, Sam Howe being the quarterback, that's enough for North Carolina to be the favorite to win the ACC Coast. I'm going to look into my crystal ball. It's pretty much a lock that the media at ACC kickoff, if there is an ACC kickoff, they are going to select Clemson and North Carolina as the teams that play in Charlotte for the ACC championship game. Quarterback and coach, it's so important. Sam Howell, he's one of the five best quarterbacks in all of college football who are returning. Trevor Lawrence being the first guy I think of on that list. Justin Fields second. Sam Ellinger from Texas. He belongs. Then I think it's Sam Howell or Ian Book. Jamie Newman, Kyle Trask, and others would probably round out the list. But Sam Howell's in the top five. He's the second leading touchdown passer among returning quarterbacks. Only trailing fields. Fourth in the nation altogether in TD passes. He had more than Trevor Lawrence did. Think about the quarterbacks Clemson's run into in the ACC the last few years. Who's the best one? Is it Ryan Finley at State? If that's the case, okay, you're talking about a third-round pick. It's probably Daniel Jones at Duke, but Duke is always going to be limited in what they could do recruiting and I say that as somebody who's a big fan of David Cutcliffe, and we love having him on this show. Maybe our most entertaining guest, accomplished coach. He's great. But Duke's just never going to compete at the level Clemson competes. Same thing at Wake Forest. So I like Jamie Newman, but I'd take Finley over Newman, and I'd take Sam Howe over any other quarterback you could probably list, dating back to Lamar Jackson. Kenny Pickett, get out of here. Bryce Perkins, what are we talking about? Who's the best ACC coach other than Dabo? Nobody else has won a national title other than Mac Brown. Mac Brown, he's a college football Hall of Famer. So you got the next best coach and the next best quarterback to Clemson with Lawrence and Dabo. Also, I think the last meeting between the two it's a signal. Last year in Chapel Hill, I was there. Everybody treated it like a fluke. I didn't think it was a fluke at the time, and I still don't. 
Everybody said this is a black eye on Clemson's resume competing with the North Carolina team. Even though they won on the road, just the idea of the game being competitive is a black mark on their resume. However, I think the more we saw of how and North Carolina, how they finished the year with Coach Brown, I think perspective started to change, thinking maybe it's possible that coach and quarterback kind of had some things figured out, and it wasn't a fluke. That game's going to be drawn on all throughout this year because Clemson isn't set to face North Carolina in the regular season. But how's this for a number? Trevor Lawrence, he has started and finished 15 other ACC games other than that game in Chapel Hill. Clemson's won them all, ACC games, and Clemson's average win margin is 41. They won that game in Chapel Hill by one point. One. It excludes the Syracuse game, which was Trevor's first start. He got hurt in the first half. A quarterback that entered that week thinking he was the third-string quarterback had to come in and win it against Syracuse. So I exclude that one, but... The 15 others, 41-point margin for Clemson, all wins. One point the time they played in Chapel Hill. That is a signal. North Carolina has become the biggest threat to Clemson that we've seen in the ACC the last five years. If you have thoughts on the matter on Twitter at SportsHubTriant, 336-777-1600 being the phone number, we're a little bummed out today because we were going to be in Atlanta for the Final Four tonight. A college basketball champion would have been crowned. But since we have no game to break down, I have my three greatest March Madness national title games of all time. But here's one important piece of criteria I need to add in here. It's not, we're not doing old tournament format. So this is since the field was expanded to 64, to a March Madness bracket that, we all have come to know and love today. That excludes some great games, like NC State's win with Jim Valvano in 1983, the year before that, MJ hitting the shot in New Orleans for Dean Smith's first title. So 85 and on, those are the games that we're considering here. Great national title games. Honorable mentions, a few involving Danny Manning. Danny Playing in 1988 against Oklahoma, Kansas winning that, Danny being an assistant on that 2018 that won and came from behind with Mario Chalmers tying the game at the end of regulation in San Antonio, Kansas taking down Derrick Rose, John Calipari, and the Memphis Tigers. Duke beating Wisconsin, Grayson Allen emerging in the second half when Duke needed him most. Virginia last year bouncing back after becoming the first one seed to lose to a 16 in overtime, beating Texas Tech. Honest question, Robert. Can Virginia still call themselves the defending national champs since there is no March Madness this year? Like, does Virginia say, oh, yeah, we are the two-year defending national champs? I don't know if it's two years. I mean, but they are the last national championship holders, and there were no... And they were set to go to the NCAA tournament again, so they were going to try and defend their title. Who knows? Maybe they went on a run and went back-to-back. We can never say. So I guess they are technically still the defending champs. Here are my three greatest national title games ever. Do we have 
a bell of some sorts to signify this big occasion. Number three, Duke Butler in 2010. Gosh, it's a pure story of a blue blood and an underdog going head to head. Two incredible coaches. Brad Stevens, that was before we thought, oh, this is the guy who's surely going to be Roy Williams' successor or maybe even Mike Krzyzewski's. Coach K calling for an intentional missed free throw, that leading to Gordon Hayward's half-court shot that almost went down. It was probably off by a half an inch. If it drops, it's the greatest shot in the history of college basketball. Number two, Georgetown Villanova 1985. Villanova, they had to play a perfect game in order to win, and they did. They shot 79% from the field and only won by two. I don't know what's crazier, that they shot 79% or that they shot that percentage and only won by two. That speaks to how good that Georgetown team was. Georgetown, they didn't play poorly, 55%. Ewing, he had four fouls, but he played 39 minutes. Georgetown out-rebounded the Wildcats. They out-assisted the Wildcats. Villanova pulled off the massive upset, 66-64 in 1985. Number one involves Villanova 2. It's North Carolina Nova 2016. Two worthy champions. In a tournament where you have to win five in a row just to get to the biggest stage, you often have teams get upset. You have teams that fall short, even if they've had incredible regular seasons. Both those teams were awesome. It had the best finish in history. Marcus Page hitting the off-balance shot. Chris Jenkins off the assist from Ryan Archidiacono. From the top of the key. Great timing. Everybody knew the shot was good, including the confetti shooters. As they shot the confetti right from the jump, didn't need an official review. They knew it was good. Every time I see that, I think about the confidence, the boldness of those confetti shooters. Oh, we know this shot is good. But just imagine a scenario where there was a half second left. Or if... <laughs> If the shot wasn't off in time and they still shot the confetti and they had to clean all that mess up. Two incredibly likable teams. Jay Wright, the non-reaction. That's the number one greatest national title game ever since the tournament expanded to 64. Duke Butler, 2010. Georgetown Villanova, 1985. North Carolina Villanova in 2016. You are listening to WSJS Winston-Salem, WCOG Greensboro, WPCM Burlington, WMFR High Point, those signals making up, Sports Hub Triad. It's The Drive with Josh Graham. Take it from me, you're driving everyone crazy. Mission accomplished on Sports Hub Triad. Tim Duncan was inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame this weekend, or at least the announcement of him being inducted, along with Kobe Bryant and Kevin Garnett came down. We're going to talk to Tony Rutland, former Wake Forest standout on those Duncan teams, and he'll share some stories with us in 15 minutes. But him being inducted into the Hall of Fame had me thinking, what? sports talk radio topics would be 
and the Sports Radio Topic Hall of Fame. Things that have been discussed for decades have made people lose their minds that have lit up sports talk radio phone lines for years on end. And I feel pretty comfortable with our first ballot inductee. It is the debate that keeps on giving. And I expect a lot of it while the Michael Jordan documentary is going on. That starts on April the 19th. It is who's better, Michael Jordan or LeBron James? There are few sports radio topics that have passed the test of time. Topics debaters have embraced for decades, and the debates still go on. This is the Sports Radio Topic Hall of Fame. Today's inductee. You cannot tell me in a one-on-one game now that LeBron James won a dominant mic. In many sports, GOAT is subjective. This is objective, and it's not close. How important should it be for LeBron to pass Jordan as the GOAT? In a one-on-one game, LeBron James. I'm not listening to that nonsense. Who's better, LeBron James or Michael Jordan? Certainly a worthy candidate. I can't tell you how many times during the summer... I'd just say the words Michael and LeBron in the same sentence. And all of the sudden, the phone lines would light up four, five deep. I remember I was with David Glenn and he once told me, oh man, I just merely mentioned those two names and my show is set for the rest of the week. Michael versus LeBron. To me, there's no discussion in the basketball conversation here. Like, if you're just talking resume, Michael, the six titles, Michael winning a national championship with the game-winning shot. I do find it interesting how nobody brings up the collegiate career if you're talking about the greatest basketball player ever. Because obviously, LeBron's going to have more points, more rebounds, more than anything Michael had, because Michael had... The two years he was playing baseball and also he played three years at North Carolina. So he just had more time in the NBA. But why why do you think college is not brought up at all in these discussions? I don't know. Maybe they're saying that that's the amateur ranks. And if you're not playing in the NBA, then you're not a professional. And those stats don't count as you because you were not playing against other professionals. I don't agree with that, but I'm saying that's what. I think those people would say. Man, when you're playing in the ACC alongside Lynn Bias and Ralph Sampson and other greats, that's that should be included in the legacy talk. So I really don't think it's much of a discussion when it comes to merely basketball resume. Where it is a fascinating debate is in terms of influence. That's a good way to measure greatness. Who's had a bigger influence on the sport that they play? Michael, he practically created the idea of having your own sneaker and your own campaign for Nike and built sports marketing from the ground up with Sonny Vaccaro. But LeBron taking ownership of his career, taking his own people with him and empowering them and also starting the the player empowerment decade by choosing to become a member of the Miami Heat, leading to the decisions that others have made and strengthening the appeal of the offseason. That's all LeBron's impact. I think influence is fascinating. 
I'd still probably say Michael because he's a lot cooler than LeBron is. Like, Michael, he was the coolest guy in America. He was the most famous person that we had. Like, imagine Tiger Woods, but him playing NBA basketball. He's the only dude that can pull the solo hoop off besides Mr. Clean. That's an excellent, excellent point that you bring up. I'm so Mr. glad you Clean said it. Mr. is animated. And you're right. So Michael is the only real person that can pull off. Can I tell you the discussion I hate? Sure. And we heard a lot of it from the guys on <laughs> first take and stuff. Who would win in a basketball game one-on-one? Like, if you, throw, if you throw the average pitcher in Major League Baseball today against Babe Ruth, odds are Babe Ruth's probably going to strike out. Yeah. Okay? That's what you have here. He has never seen a junk ball. He never faced a Dominican player. Not once. Right? So, t- so times have changed. Like, that's the part where it's strictly oranges and apples here. Apples to oranges. I don't know why I said oranges first. You can still compare them, but I get you. That's a great point. I don't know why people say you can't compare apples and oranges. Uh, one is a citrus. One is a... a they, are, they are both fruit. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, why can't we compare those two? It doesn't make much sense. Who'd win a one-on-one battle? That's so infuriating. I, I think that's part of the reason that this topic belongs in the Hall of Fame, though, is because it, it unites two different generations. The people who grew up, probably our parents or our, our older cousins, and then this generation of basketball fans who are more inclined to like long shots and, and celebrations. Oh, and, and Grandpa is all about Bill Russell and Wilt. <laughs> yeah, don't, they're not included in it. Come Jerry on. Jerry West. Nah. LeBron versus MJ. It's a Hall of Fame inductee. I think it's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Like, what are some of the stats that you think this has created, Robert? Uh, as a topic, it co-signed uh, the mortgage for Skip Bayless's house, I believe. <laughs> uh, I think it's shortened Stephen A. Smith's life five to ten years. Uh, it's definitely taken away the, the creativity part of it. Because, I mean, I, I think... A lot of those guys like Max Kellerman or whatever can just lean on a lazy topic like this. Not saying they're not great at their jobs, but... Uh, I am. Yeah. <laughs> I knew you would throw some shots. Max Kellerman, get out of here with that. I think Stephen A is the absolute best at doing what Stephen A does. Yeah. Right? It's not my cup of tea, but I'm never going to knock the greatest. That guy, man, he could get worked up about anything. He, he would come at you and be like, you work on Tobacco Road down in North Carolina. Archdale, North Carolina. <laughs> I sat in my car and I just stared into the distance and thought, LeBron? <laughs> nah, I'm cool with Stephen A. Max Kellerman, stick to boxing. Huh? Stick to boxing. So there's our first inductee, LeBron versus MJ, going into the Hall of Fame of Sports Talk Radio topics. Congratulations. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Tim Duncan, he's going into a Hall of Fame. And one thing I'm interested in talking to Tony Rutland about, there will never be another Tim Duncan. He never cut any corners in his development. Four years of college ball. He said he needed every single one of those. Learned under David Robinson's wing. I mean, never again. Like, if you're seen to be uh, the best player on an ACC championship team, you're going to the pros. You are. And that was a time where people left early. The people he is going into the Hall of Fame with, Kevin Garnett, left in 95 before even going to college. That's when Tim Duncan won as a sophomore. Kobe, 
foregoing college. 96, he goes, what does Tim Duncan do? Oh, I'm going to come back for my senior season at Wake in 97. So you might think, oh, Josh, that's just how they did it back then. No. Tim Duncan was different. His humility. He had a modest game to match it. Never wanted attention. When he won as the head coach of the Spurs filling in for Greg Popovich in Charlotte, he was asked three questions about his feelings being on the sideline, and he snapped back saying, are we going to talk about the game or just me? Feature stories. Every time he tried to write one on Timmy, he'd say, oh, enough stories have been written on me. What's right? Write one about somebody else. His game, it's not flashy. Zion, he was perfectly... Uh, he was perfectly modest. He was he was humble, and I love that about Zion, but his game did not really match that. Very flashy, what Zion does. And he also got into basketball late. Almost He almost pursued a swimming career. He almost stuck with swimming. In specialization today, I don't know if that happens for a number one pick. The idea that you just get into basketball as an early teen or mid-teenager and become the number one pick in the draft, I just don't think you see another Tim Duncan. That's going to be a part of his legacy. So former weight guard who was a teammate with Timmy D, Tony Rutland, he's going to join the show, share some stories with us next. We handle our microphone slightly better than the Patriots' Bill Belichick. Stupid thing. This is The Drive with Josh Graham. So when you think about those Wake Forest championship teams from the 90s, of course, you probably first go to Tim Duncan, who this weekend was inducted into the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame. Then you probably go to Randolph Childress crossing over Jeff McInnes and the 95 ACC tournament. But then... I immediately go next to number 30, Tony Rutland, who's kind enough to spend some time and share some Tim Duncan memories with us today. And Tony, your first year at Wake Forest was Tim Duncan's sophomore year. And if I remember correctly, Tim's freshman year, he wasn't scoring a ton. I don't think he was into double-figure scoring on average until his second season. So... What do you remember about your early impressions of Tim? Do you remember the first time you thought he'd be special? Um, no. Uh, when I, I really, like, when I first uh, met Tim, my first impression, of course, was uh, I took a visit. He was a freshman. He was a skinny athlete that was in Collins dorm at the time and the college World Series. I mean, no, the MLB World Series was on. And he was just eating a gallon of ice cream with a spoon by himself. So I knew right then and there he was trying to gain weight and trying to improve his body and just get better for the team. So um, after that, my freshman year, just him being humble and working hard every day, it set you know it set the tone for everybody along with Randolph and you know just the just the relationships them two had. You know when I was a freshman, I just kind of try to follow after Randolph's footsteps and just try to be um, somebody that can help him improve and get better every every year. Hold up. Paint the picture for me. Where is Tim Duncan sitting? Does he have like a big spoon as he's going straight into the carton or is he putting it into a bowl? Paint that picture for me. 
Uh, so I'm walking through Collins' dorm, and he's sitting on a sofa because at the time we had, I think it was the lobby, they had one TV. He was sitting in the lobby by himself with one big spoon, and he's dipping his spoon in a big carton of ice cream. <laughs> that's that's incredible. Did he do that his sophomore year too, or was it just, or was he big enough by then? I, I don't know by sophomore year because you know at the time I think he was like staying off campus. But all I know is his freshman year that was the freshman dorm, and he was sitting there by himself watching the World Series, and that's what I saw. See, it's my belief, Tony, that there there can't be another Tim Duncan in 2020. I think. I doubt you'd find many guys who would be willing to cut, uh, to to not cut any corners in their development, stay four years at Wake Forest, and then be under the wing of David Robinson, be perfectly uh, willing to do that. His humility, his modest game, and on top of that, he got into basketball late. I mean, you talk about just specializing back then. It wasn't really a thing, or at least not as prevalent in sports 25 years ago or so from your view as somebody who's been about around basketball your entire life do you think there can be another Tim Duncan uh, I don't think so just because it's just the evolution of the basketball game um, I think that the best thing that happened to Tim honestly was that he just got into the game late and he got <clears throat> stereotyped as a big man and so everything that was taught to Tim was basically a lot of big man fundamentals. And uh, I think now if you have a Tim Duncan now, I think uh, the way you train him and nowadays how the game is going, I think he would be more of an AD type player. Um, you know, Tim at the end of his career at Wake, you know, he, he begged and, and he wanted to be just like a point guard. Um, uh, and, and run the point. You know, he wanted to shoot the three. He wanted to do certain things. So, um, you know, that was the thing that he wanted to do um, now. So I think now if you have a Tim Duncan in the game today, I think he would be more of an AD type player. I think he would be the one that just wants to, um, um, you know, play like on, on a, maybe a stretch five per se. Former Wake guard Tony Rutland with us here on Sports Hub Triad. One of your former teammates who's better known as Intense Wake fan, hashtag Intense Wake fan, Kenny Herps. He was once telling me a story where he said that, I mean, he's nothing more than a walk-on at this point, and he was afraid to fly, I think was the story. And Tim Duncan knew about this and said, hey, would you like to be closer to the front? Would you like a window seat? He was just trying to facilitate things to make Kenny feel most comfortable, even though Tim was this massive human being that probably needed a lot more of the comfort than a Kenny Herps would. What's the best story you can share with us that speaks to Tim's team-first nature? Well, you know, I think he was just one of those guys where he spent a lot of his time in the locker room with us, you know, and that's where um, I think the concept of uh, men's locker room or women's locker room or sports locker room in general is where you spend majority of your time during college because you're with your family, your new, your new family, your teammates, and that's where Tim stayed. So my thing was he always was in the, in, in the locker room playing video games. And it's like he knew every move for every Mortal Kombat uh, 
player in there. He knew everything about uh, basketball games, football games. He, he was just like a student. Um, for video games. So, I mean, that's where we always had our fun. We laughed and joked, and that and that's just what it was. So he was always a great teammate when it came to that. And, you know, with him, he paid it forward. You know, I mean, uh, a lot of people know that, you know, he wasn't the best free throw shooter in, in, in college basketball. But, you know, in order for him to relax and not think about it, we had to tell him, like, funny or crazy jokes right before he shot free throws so he can get his mind off of missing free throws and, and it would work most of the time. Do you remember one of the jokes you would tell Tim? Uh, yeah, I just I just said it the other day. I think I came up to him one time and we needed a free throw. I don't know if it was against Carolina or it was in the ACC tournament. And I think I just told him, I said, hey, man, um, it's a fly on your hot dog or a fly eating your hot dog right now. He looked at me like I was crazy and started laughing, and he went and knocked down the free throw. <laughs> um, what's the video game you do not want to play Tim Duncan in because you know it would end poorly for you? Um, I asked him at our reunion just recently, uh, you know, when we celebrated the, the ACC tournament team, I just asked him, I said, I know you know how to – do all the fatalities and brutalities on Mortal Kombat. He said, give me 15 minutes, and he would get all of them. Whoa! 15 minutes? Timmy D That's still awesome. got it. I'm trying to think he, about. He, what What would be the he, character? Robert, when you think of Mortal Kombat characters Tim Duncan could potentially use, who comes to mind, Robert? Anybody? Because I know that's like your area of expertise. I'm trying to think who would be some of the go-to characters there. I could see him being Raiden or maybe Sub Zero, one of the classics. <laughs> and, and when I say when I say give him fifteen minutes, I'm talking about fifteen minutes for all the characters. Whoa! Uh, he used to put it on random, and whatever whatever player would come up, he knew how to do all the fatalities, all the ten hit combos, all that, and and he would just kill us. So if you beat Tim Duncan in Mortal Kombat, you were doing something good. Um, it I sounds like say, he's a nerd. I wouldn't. Okay. So I wouldn't say he was a nerd, but I would say he was a gamer. <laughs> it's a good answer. So th therefore, I think if, you, if, if gaming was very, very popular back then, I think he would have one of those gamer seats. He would have a big TV and he would have all the gaming systems in his room playing games. Tony. Thank you so much for sharing memories with us. I hope you're doing well. And it's one of those things where just a few months ago, we were all together and celebrating the 1995 team. And who knows? Maybe there's yep. going to be a 20, uh, another anniversary coming up soon, maybe a 25 year before we know it. But be well. Thanks yeah, for the well, time today. No problem. Thank you all for having. And uh, hopefully we can have the best ACC championship team, which is in the 96 team, you know, I always joke with Randolph about that, but, you know, I'm always going to claim us as the best ACC championship team. You going to bring Timmy back? That's the plan of next course. year? I hope so. That sounds like a plan. And that is Tony Rutland spending some time with us here on a Monday afternoon. It's been a pretty eventful day so far. We had Danny Manning on with us a few hours ago, and – asked a couple of the key questions that Wake fans wanted answered. I think most prominently, we went to exit interviews, and he said that D 
digitally or virtually, he was able to get those done with players. And now he's been having Zoom meetings with his team. But he finally had a chance to meet up with John Curry after the season. He says those meetings are ongoing. I just flat out ask, hey, what what assurances have you been given that you will be the basketball coach in Winston-Salem this fall? And this is how Danny responded. Well, you know, for me, it's just I'm moving forward as, as I'm going to be here. That's always been my thought process. That's what I said when the season ended, and that's how I feel. So, you know, we're continuing to – to move forward and doing the things necessary to get us prepared um, for this new normal that we're in right now. I think that is a noteworthy answer. Some viewed that as him dodging it. It's not. It sounds like to me, I mean, if Danny Manning was told by John Curry, you're going to be the basketball coach next year, don't you think he would say that? Yes, Aaron. I know it's, it's, you know, people are wondering about his future. And I know it's a story, but to me, it seems like that Wake Forest and Danny Manning are continuing with business as usual. Like he's on the contract, so there's no need in making an announcement to say, you know, I'm coming back. Well, I agree with you. You probably don't want to have a press conference like you did last year because it was an awkward ordeal. Hey, we're having a press conference. Why do you have press conferences? Because something is incredibly newsworthy, right? And you're there, you're there, and you're like, okay, so you're good? Yeah. Okay, then why are we having this press conference? However, it would do some good for Danny being in a spot where I have to ask him those questions. Wake fans are wondering. It would do some good for him and also for his recruiting efforts if they would outwardly say he's going to come back. At this point, that's what I want more than anything else. I just want an answer from Wake Athletics, yes or no. And since that answer hasn't come down the same way that Boston College passed along to Jeff Goodman and John Rothstein that Jim Christian would be returning as the coach, we're kind of in a holding pattern here. And since that hasn't happened yet, that tells me that they are still deciding. Because again, it doesn't do Danny any favors for you not to say he's coming back. In fact, it hurts his ability to recruit because even though he landed in Ian Dubois, Houston Baptist grad transfer, there might be others he's going after who simply tell him, man, I need to know for sure you're going to be here if I'm going to commit to you. So it's, it's, a, it's gotten us to a point where Wake Forest needs to say something. And since they haven't, it has me believing if something were to clear up amid what's happening with COVID-19, if things were to get better and the economy bounce back and people get their jobs, we saw today, heck, there's a massive jump in the market, positively. If that were to happen, then maybe some of the people who might have been involved with a buyout negotiation, which again was the reporting done by the ACC Sports Journal and reporting that I trust. Maybe the news changes. Maybe they do make a coach coaching change. It wouldn't be absolutely uh, unprecedented. I'm sure Thad Mata did interviews after his season ended f- three or four years ago. And then in mid-May, they decided they didn't like the direction where recruiting was and 
whatnot. So they just made a change there. So I, I took that as Danny doesn't know yet. Danny wasn't assured. However, behind closed doors, if you're in the spot Danny's in and you're talking with John Curry, your boss, and the season's ending, how does that not come up? Think about that. How does that not come up? What's something? What, what's going to happen for next year? So that was the answer from Danny. Also, I asked him about Olivier Saar and Chandi Brown, whether or not he expected them to test the NBA draft waters, and this is what he said. I would be okay with it, you know, just from the standpoint of you, you, you can do it and, and it's an available to you. And, um, you know, certainly want those guys to have as much information as possible and us also. So, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely um, under the, the mindset that that's going to happen. But I just feel like that with college basketball in general. That's what a lot of young men do, um, especially if they haven't done that going into their senior year. So um, I, would, I would anticipate that happening, yes. I would be shocked if Chondi Brown left. Dealing with injuries, I get it's a thin draft. He wouldn't get drafted. I don't think Olivier would either. But Chondi, he loves Wake Forest. He loves Winston-Salem. He's a leader on this team. I I think I feel comfortable saying that Chondi is going to come back. Olivier, I just don't know. Here, Here's a question I have regarding COVID-19. Olivier... He's been upseated. He's been uh, unrooted from where he was living because Wake Forest, athletes, students, their first three years, they have to stay on campus. Olivier Sartre, he's from France. He can't travel to see his family. He can't go there. Travel's blocked off. They can't come to see him. They can't take care of him. He can't stay on campus either. That's shut down. So he's currently at a walk-on family's house. That's where Olivier's staying. Now, does that type of uncertainty push you to want to go to the NBA and test those waters? Or does it make you think, I need to veer towards the known. I need to veer towards staying where I'm at and remain a Wake Forest Demon Deacon? Like, which of those do you think his circumstance pushes him? Like, which of those two directions do you think is a more powerful pulling force for Olivier and his circumstance? Uh, obviously, only he can answer that. But of course. I, I would, We're speculating. Yeah. I would assume that since he's already playing overseas, he's already been over here a little bit, he probably has a nice base built up where he's obviously staying with a walk-on. He's got some friends here. I don't think another year of this thing that that is certainly going to pass would push him into the NBA. I think he would feel pretty grounded and maybe even better about his situation knowing he has a teammate and people have his back here. Yeah, people who could take care of him right now. Like this, The future, it's so uncertain for what – what opportunity you would get if there is a combine. What opportunity you would get to impress scouts. So, I don't think it makes a lot of sense for Olivier. Also, when you consider 
how much his game has jumped from the start of the year. John Collins, he he wasn't a first-round draft pick, great NBA prospect until his second year at Wake, learning under Danny. So Danny's done a great job developing bigs. You can criticize a lot of things with Danny, and it's fair criticism. But he develops bigs well, and Olivier is a prime example of that. I think there's more he can sharpen staying another year at Wake. On top of that, I mean, Tim Duncan's going into the Hall of Fame, and you see how he benefited being being somebody who came from the Virgin Islands into the uh, into Winston-Salem and sharpened up his game before he decided to go pro. Didn't cut any corners in the development process. If you if you want to hear the entire Danny interview, you can find that right now on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud. We covered a lot with him. It was a 15, 17-minute long conversation. Uh, you can find that, again, at all those places. Just search The Drive with Josh Graham. Make sure to subscribe as well. Later in the week, Mac Brown, Mike Houston will be a guest on today's show, ECU head football coach. Here comes the life of the party. The Drive. Corrupting the minds and the hearts of our children. With Josh Graham. Program for low expectations. On Sports Hub Triad. Woo! According to Adrian Wojnarowski, the NBA is currently working on a game of horse, an NBA horse tournament. So I started thinking about players that you would most want on your team if you are playing a game of horse or guys that you would take first to win in a game of horse And I came up with three names, my big three here. And I think the first choice is the most obvious one. It's got to be Steph Curry. Steph's back. He's healthy. He's fun. Like, he's going to try shots that you haven't even thought about. And I think, Robert, if you're looking for the best criteria for a horse player... What might it be? Maybe the game that Ben Simmons has, but just the opposite? Yes, everything different than Ben Simmons. Right. Ben Simmons would be the worst player to have in a game of horse. So the criteria you really are looking for is it's likely going to be a guard. Unless you got like a Zion Williamson type and you have to recreate the dunks that he does. That's what I was thinking. Very creative dunker could also be a nice pick. Right. Curry, I think he's the first choice. If you're trying to dunk, he could still dunk. He could still get up there. It's just not going to look as flashy or as pretty as what Zion can do. My second choice, I think I'm going Dame Lillard. Yeah, that would also be my second pick. Uh, The dude has pretty much limitless range as well. He can knock down crazy shots. And he does it in games at the most pressure-packed times, ending seasons from three-point range, and then waving goodbye to the Oklahoma City Thunder. Paul George after the game saying it's a bad shot he took. 
He's right. Yeah, but it went in. But it went yeah. in. <laughs> Did you call right? bank? No, yeah. I called game. <laughs> Dave Lower called game. And then he stares into the camera and said, no, I called Dame. <laughs> That's that's what he did. So Dame Lillard, I think, is second in this. And this is what's difficult. There are a number of guys I was thinking about picking third, but I just default on Trey Young. Circus shots, fun shots. He'd be good in a game of horse. It's really him or James Harden, but I don't think anybody can foul you and send you to the three uh, to the free throw line in a game of horse. So that works to the disadvantage of Harden. So, Trey Young, my third choice there. I also considered Luka Dunkage, but those are the three guys I'd most want to choose in a game of horse. But now that I'm starting to think about Zion and some of the dunkers, maybe that changes a little bit. Who would you put in your NBA horse competition? 336-777-1600 on Twitter at SportsHubTriad. I'm going to throw you a wild card here. What do you got? How about Lou Will? Lou Williams. Lou. What's special about Lou Williams? He can get hot at any time. I think he can knock down. If if they're out there being competitive, I think Lou could knock down the same shots that Steph and Dame were doing. Especially, I think he'd be a nice number three pick for your team to round out. Yeah. I I also consider Bradley Beal because he's a really good three-point shooter. Other guys who might be involved there. It's tough. Like... LeBron, maybe. Yeah, the big guys, obviously. Him, Kawhi, maybe. Paul George, maybe. KD, maybe. If he's healthy. But I feel pretty good about my top three of Curry, Dame, and Trey Young. My concern is if they try to televise this, they're going to take it too seriously. Yeah. Like, don't you hate it when you play horse and you just have the person who's Attempting the fundamental shots. Like, <laughs> all right, I'm going to do a lefty layup. Now I'm going to do a righty layup. I'm going to attempt an elbow jumper. Like, those people are the worst. Nah, do some fun stuff. I'm going to, with one foot out of bounds on the baseline, attempt a left-handed shot here. Or these are guys I think would be fun playing the game. Who do you think would not be fun? <laughs> you already hit on one of them, man. <laughs> ben Simmons would be awful. He would be. KD, <laughs> KD, I think, would take it too seriously because we saw it in the video game. He was awful in the video game on Friday night. Talking trash. Like, he took a three with Zubach, I think. He was playing with the Clippers. And he immediately gets mad at the video game like, why are you out there? I mean, that happens. Yeah. Well, well, why did you attempt the three with Zubach? I mean, he that happens in those games, though. You throw it to the corner expecting it to be somebody supposed to be in the corner. I kind of get what he means. But on the, the spectrum of players, I would not want on my team, but I would love to watch. Or just guys you don't want in any – who you don't think would be any fun. Like Russell Westbrook would not be fun. Patrick Beverly would be terrible. Oh, my. oh See, he would be I so, love Beverly, he'd though. He'd be trying to play defense against you. He'd be talking trash, though. That See, would make things more fun. See, Russell Westbrook doesn't talk trash in a fun way. Russell Westbrook takes things way too seriously. <laughs> He's the guy who's going to get mad and take his ball home when he has H-O-R-S. That's, that's who Russell is. 
I, I would think of guys like maybe the Lopez brothers too, maybe Enos Cantor, guys that get mad really easy. I was thinking the Morris twins. Uh, that that would work too. Uh, I've heard a lot of stories on the Morris twins. <laughs> right? I would just who if you were going to build a whole game of just people that cannot shoot to play horse, I would rather watch that than watch Steph and them knock oh down ridiculous my gosh. shots. Just the worst shooters in the NBA playing horse. Ben Simmons. Yeah. Oh boy! Kyle, see, Kyle Lowry is so streaky, but I, Lowry's Lowry still puts up. Good yeah, numbers, he, yeah, man. he can he he can shoot well. He's just don't, kinda, don't throw Kyle Lowry into this group. Javale McGee, uh, let him yeah. jack a couple up. <laughs> <laughs> the biggest bust of like a, no 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 no. I'm don't, not calling McGee a bust before you before you come in here. And I just love try to Javale me. McGee. I knew he was about to come get me. I was. I'm I saying, will stand I'm, Javale McGee. I all was day. not say anything bad about him. I was about to say Greg Oden, but then you were ready to stomp on me really quick. <laughs> I mean, Javale McGee is one of my loves. Like I love Javale McGee more than I love some family members. Like. Him running back on defense when his team has the ball, not knowing a shot, didn't go in. JaVale, I have so much pr- profound respect that I have no issue jumping on a good friend of mine, Robert, for even merely uh, suggesting he might not be great or sounding like he was criticizing the great JaVale McGee. You know who I bet would be a great horse player but wasn't a great NBA player? I bet Swaggy P, I bet Nick Young would be an amazing horse player and then not be able to do any of that in the game. Mm -hmm. I'll take J.J. Redick, too. Yes, I bet he would be another one. But, I mean, he's a little more proficient. We've got Let's Get Crazy in 10 minutes. Let's hear the Dabo sound that people got really mad about this weekend. Dabo Sweeney, just an eternal optimist in every single way. So when you put the coronavirus at his feet, and concerns there might not be a football season. Who expected any other answer than this one from Dabo? I, I think that's what's going to happen. I don't have any doubt that uh, – I mean, I have zero doubt that we're going to be playing, that the stands are going to be packed and the Valley's going to be rocking, and, you know, we're going to be back at it. I don't have any doubt. That's the only thought I got is, is that thought right there. All that rest of that stuff, I don't think about any of that. He later said that he was traveling on a private plane. According to Matt Connolly, who covers Clemson closely, he, he's, he's traveling to Florida to see family on a private plane that he says is sanitized. And he's also going to travel around Easter, too, again, on a private plane. Remember, I'm not sure if you've ever flown private before, but let me tell you, you're not around people. Like, you're not going into the terminal. You're not going through baggage claims. You're not going through uh, uh, TSA when you're flying private. You drive through a gate to the tarmac, and then you have somebody who gets onto your uh, bus or vehicle and make sure that you don't have any explosive devices or anything on it. So it's incredibly safe. Dabo, I have no issue with what he said at all. Now, I know there's going to be some people out there, and there have been. I've seen it all over my mentions. Oh, but Dabo, you carry a ton of influence. You need to send a strong message to the people to stay indoors. Okay. Dabo can still say that and say there's going to be a football season, right? Like... He's not a doctor. 
Neither are you, in all likelihood. Oh, but he has so much influence. If you're getting your coronavirus info from a guy named Dabo who coaches Clemson, then that's on you. If you get coronavirus, it ain't Dabo's fault. If there isn't a football season, it's not because Dabo didn't say you need to stay at home. If you're listening to Dabo, that's where you're going wrong. And I love Dabo. I love the optimism in him. I think we need more optimism out there. You can find a lot of the negative stuff. He's somebody who believes in America. He believes that things like what Bill Gates is doing, and you can read a lot about that, what he's doing to try and expedite the process of getting a vaccine. They're great. And that he believes that we always overcome things and we have a lot of the resources. I'm fine with him exuding optimism. We need some of that. Also, thinking differently, it doesn't benefit him at all. It doesn't benefit his players. He's sending a message to them. When you're in a press conference of that setting, people are sitting at home. You don't think Clemson players are following what Dabo has to say? Come on now. He's sending a message to them. We're playing this fall. This is what we're going to do. This So that way, not for a minute, those guys think, oh, should I be doing this workout right now? What are we doing if there's not going to be a season? It's smart for Dabo to say things that way. He's fine with being, I'm fine with him being an optimist. That's who he is. It's not disingenuous at all. You could disagree with him flying, but know the details of it being private and how safe that is. He's not a doctor. I'm not relying on Dabo's information and his influence to push us to where we need to go. So I have no problem at all with what Dabo said on Friday. All right, Hot Take Central. Every Monday at this time, we suspend journalistic integrity, responsibility. We throw it out the window. We just get reckless with our opinions. We welcome the audience at the same time to bring some of their hot takes. 336-777-1600. Bring them now. It's called Let's Get Crazy, and it's coming your way next.